The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, this is Cambridge 105 Radio. Many thanks to Gavin and Shabika for the last couple of hours. But now it is a very warm welcome to the Cambridge Film Show, your fortnightly smorgasbord of cinematic delights available on the big and small screens. If you've got an appetite for film, this is the place to be, and these are the people you need to be with. My name is Yosra Osman, and joining me today we've got Stuart Pask. Hello. Ashley Whitaker. Hello. Mark Walsh. Hello. And Will Johnson. Hello. Hello, team. On today's menu, we're covering a grand total of seven films including here we go Ridley Scott's Napoleon Disney Latest Wish Saltburn Turkey Based Horror Thanksgiving Civil Rights Drama Rustin The Latest Hunger Games and Netflix Animation Leo so a wide range of films covering lots of different things hopefully something for everyone but first up on to battle with Napoleon I'm not built like other men Generals gathered in their masses now. Those in power only see me as a brute, unfit for higher office. Just like witches at Black but I follow in the footsteps of Alexander the Great and Caesar. Evil minds that plot destruction. If you look down, you'll see a surprise. Once you see it, you will always want it. Sorcerer of death construction. That's the trailer for Ridley Scott's action epic story of the very famous French leader Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, it's, it's charting his rise and fall. It's starring, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby as his great love, Josephine. Um, and there has been a lot of talk about this in the news I've seen recently. A lot of commentary on the historical accuracy or inaccuracy. We will come to that. But Stuart, first, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the film and your initial thoughts? So... Um First and foremost, so this is obviously it's a sort of, sort of historical sort of biopic of Napoleon Bonaparte uh, as uh, sort of portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix. Um, and to be perfectly honest, sort of going into the film, my knowledge of French revolutionary and Napoleonic era history are extremely limited. So everything going for me was new, which was quite interesting because a lot of the sort of press around this film going in has been mixed reviews. It seems that British audiences and, 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 and American audiences are, are giving it a lot of praise and it's mm-hmm. sort of being tipped for possible Oscar and award season nominations. But meanwhile, um, <laughs> the French apparently are not so keen on it. They, they are not keen on the portrayal of the French people. I think as well there's a lot of criticism that it is a lot of Western voices. It has actually smashed the French box office. Well, that's interesting. Yes, which okay. is interesting. Okay. Yes, but the critics seem to hate it, but the audiences are still going. Well, that's good, that's good. So that's going to get a lot of, lots of views, which is important for our for our, for our box offices. And um, and then similarly, historians. Historians are coming out and saying, oh, it's not historically accurate at all, which of course Ridley Scott has come out in the press and said, and it's <laughs> it's a film. It's creative freedom it's a uh, you know it's, it's never going to be it's, it's got to be sort of it's being told through his lens as it were so going in with all these opinions fluttering around me my sort of limited knowledge it was very interesting to see and, and i i did quite enjoy it i mean it's not a terribly exciting movie it's got serious period costume drama vibes which for me is a red flag sometimes it's all the sort of thing i look at that and go no nah, that's not going to be for me but um it, it was spiced up a bit with a lot of sort of uh historical sort of warfare tactics it was always interesting you know and and and, and there was just so much history in there whether it is accurate or not that i 
wasn't aware of. Um, so even if I had to go on now and do my own reading and find out more about it, it was definitely opened my eyes a bit and made me more interested in that period in history. So perhaps if that was the mission of the film, then it was a success. But it wasn't the most entertaining, and it almost three hours long. It yeah. was it was a little bit of a slog. Yes. But at least it was an interesting slog. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the win that I'm hearing there is that it's made you more interested in reading a bit more about Napoleon yeah. and, and, and the history there. Um Mark, I'll come to you next. It's interesting because I, I don't know, a, I don't know loads about Napoleon, but I know the kind of bare bones stuff, and I know the basic history of, of his kind of rise and fall. And I think my issue was that it seemed to skirt over a lot about the man himself. I mean, this is uh, this is someone who's very, very famous historically, a great military mind, and, and a lot of that seemed to be quite missing for me. I didn't know much about him, especially in that, that beginning chunk when we are finding out about his, his actual rise to emperor. So, so that's my take on it, but I'm just interested to hear what you think about, especially because, as Stuart said, this is a film that's coming up to about three hours long. Uh, yeah, I think about two hours, 40 minutes. And it, it, I think it's always interesting for me to see which way these historical films go. Some take the decision to focus on a particular period of history of a person's life or career, maybe something that's pivotal. Others try and cram in the whole history. And this feels like flicking through an, a, a Napoleon book. Mm. It's just you know picking out selected highlights and you never really latch on to, to one period in particular. I think it's, it's sort of taster of the life of Napoleon rather mm -hmm. than uh, getting into anything in any great detail. Um, I, I, even despite that, I did quite enjoy it. Okay. And I think it's got uh, this weird understated campness to it that, that has just been flirted with in other Ridley Scott films. Gladiator is one that comes to mind uh, with uh, um, uh, some of the quotes that from Oliver Reed in that film. And it, there, there is some fantastic dialogue in this, uh, some really eccentric delivery of that dialogue as well. And it's played absolutely straight. But it feels as if it's a subversive comedy, and it really feels like it's it's trying to understand the ridiculousness of, of how this man actually rose to such a, a position of power, when in the way that he's played by Joaquin Phoenix, there is nothing particularly remarkable about him, other than his military genius. Was that sufficient to make people gravitate towards him in the way that they clearly did, and, judging by the French box office, clearly still do you know he's, he's, he's you know seen as, a, as an absolute legend i think the other comment i'd make at this point about the the historical accuracy of it all uh, i'm reminded of um, the management of liberty valence that old quote uh when when uh, the truth becomes uh, legend print the legend uh, you know this it, we'd be much more interested in seeing the legend than the truth necessarily uh you know particularly if we feel that the truth is maybe not that interesting <laughs> um Let's. I'm just going to touch on something you mentioned there. Let's talk about Joaquin Phoenix's performance as the very famous Napoleon. Um, it must be quite difficult to take on somebody who's so well known. And whether intentionally or not, I agree with you, Mark, that there were moments where I thought it was quite humorous. He was almost like this petulant child at times. Stuart, what did you make of his performance? I mean, I mean, in our little sort of WhatsApp group chat, we'd have behind the scenes talking about the production for the show in advance. I mean, uh, it, it was mentioned that it was quite humorous. I thought, it's like, well, yeah, I certainly do recall chuckling, but I don't remember it being a particularly funny film. So in my back of my mind is saying, it, were they, was, it, was it so subtle that I didn't really acknowledge it at the time? Or, or was it more sort of retroactively that actually... Was it intended to be funny? I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly a lot of these characters, they are, they're huge personalities and they're a little bit, you know, crazy. And so <laughs> they are 
you know, you sort of get the impression that, you know, to be that successful and be that at that time, you've got to be a little bit mad. So some of the things they say are a little bit unusual and, and funny and likely to raise an eyebrow. And um, I particularly enjoy sort of Joaquin's Phoenix or uh, his very flirtatious behaviour to um, Josephine, um, played by Vanessa Kirby. And, and it was just, those were some of the sort of the funnier bits. It's like, well, this, this is, it, it was, was it funny or is it just weird? Is I'm it not just sure. weird? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, maybe weird's the right word that yeah. we're, that we're we're coming to here. Let's talk a little bit about about Vanessa Kirby because quite a lot of the focus in this film is about um, Napoleon's relationship with seeming love, seemingly love of his life, Josephine. Um, despite you know their divorce and and kind of what happens um, later down the line, the film focuses quite heavily on this. Does it kind of interweave nicely with all the other stuff that we're learning and his kind of military prowess, Mark? I think for me, it shows two people who clearly have an incredible attraction towards each other, almost an infatuation with each other, but it doesn't necessarily sell a ma- an incredible amount of chemistry between the two of them. Uh, you, you can see why they would have both been attracted to each other, respected each other, and, and been devoted to each other, but not in a way that makes you think they should have spent their lives together, if that makes sense. Um, I, you, know, you, you think of some of the great on-screen relationships, and it didn't have that spark, that, that frisson of energy that you would associate with those, but it is two very good individual performances. I think another one of the little odd layers that adding in on top of you know, some of the dialogue and the other things we've talked about that make this a film that needs a bit of unpicking afterwards, I think. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I I really liked Vanessa Kirby's performance, but there were times watching it I was thinking, why why do they love each other? I can't really work that out. I wonder if I mean either of you can come on, in on this. If this is because it's it's doing that kind of snapshot history, so nothing really feels perhaps fully developed, including their relationship. Yeah, I mean it's certainly like I say you're you're dipping in to specific parts of Napoleon's life and him and. Josephine's relationship at that point and you know maybe again perhaps going in with a bit more his- understanding of the man the history and that relationship because the, the letters between them are very very famous um, maybe a little bit more context going in would help but for me going in fresh air it was a little bit disjointed and, and as a result whether that was generally true or not the relationship they had was certainly, I said earlier, red flags, and I'll say it again, lots of red flags, and dare I say, a little bit of a toxic relationship. But by the same token, it's, it's you know, eventually it does become a, a royal uh, a wedding, a royal relationship, and I think historically we've all seen them to be a little bit, a bit odd, and again, I say, weird. <laughs> Maybe it's just portraying what was essentially a very weird man with a weird relationship yeah. and a weird um, I don't know but um, we, we can't talk about Napoleon without and, and a Ridley Scott film actually without touching on I think Stuart in your kind of intro you mentioned it but it, there's a lot about the kind of big battle scenes including famous Waterloo but also the epic mistake that Napoleon made when he charged in, into Russia do we just want to touch on those on those scenes and, and how kind of I, I mean uh, I'm a huge fan of a, of a historical reenactment so sort of every now and then where maybe some of that sort of some of the sort of the costume dramery narrative was perhaps growing a little bit thin I sort of welcomed a little bit of a historical reenactment and and they and they're very well done I think I mean where I can speak for the historical accuracy whether they my friend uh, Rob and I were chatting um, uh, and he's a big sort of classical history nerd and he was and we always joke 
about these films, well, it's all well and good them having these huge battles and things, but are they wearing the right hats? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those hats have parts within themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think. I think actually, on the battles, I was reading a little bit of this to try and work out myself how much was true and much wasn't. There's there's a big set piece where uh, the opposing army is congregated on what turns out to be uh, a lake that's frozen over, and that mm. gives Napoleon the chance to to shoot it out with cannonballs and sink yes. them. Uh, apparently, in real life, it was probably two large puddles, and there was very little danger of them actually drowning but you know it, again it was still a tactical advantage that was gained by napoleon in the real battle and it's yeah. how you then portray that on the film and that's where it comes into the legend rather than the fact because you know that particular battle and, and that kind of story has become part of the napoleon legend rather than napoleon fact okay. and which are we more interested in yeah, yeah I, I, I think Ridley Scott is attempting to try and give this man a sense of the of the legendary and the mythic. Whether or not that works, I think people have to kind of judge for themselves. But no, for, for me, the battle sequences work. They had a heft to them. Uh, they're not necessarily exciting, but you, you you do get a real sense of both the geography of what's going on, uh, the sense of Napoleon's uh, tactical cleverness up until that Russia uh, disaster. Uh, and you know, it does it does you know add a different texture to the film. Uh, for me personally, it was really refreshing because I don't actually think everyone the big screen I've seen uh, 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 certainly, certainly not in modern sort of films I haven't seen the Battle of Waterloo recreated on mm. the big screen I guess there's, it's really probably been done loads of times before in different films I've just not seen those films but the only one I can think of in sort of recent memory and I say recent in the loosest possible terms is when I saw um, Blackadder back and forth at the Millennium Dome for the, for the turn of the Millennium and, and, and that was Stephen Fry playing um, I, my, Wellington My utter disappointment it wasn't Stephen Fry it was instead uh, Rip Everett Rip uh, Everett, playing, yes. yeah. playing Napoleon uh, yeah, it's probably the biggest disappointment about the film I, yeah, my, my final word on this will be that uh, yeah, we talked about some of the dialogue. I don't want to give too much away uh, to let people discover it for themselves, but I will be at regular points uh, stood in my kitchen in the morning saying, uh, I'm enjoying this succulent breakfast, uh, just to see what <laughs> reaction Enjoy away, Mark. See Thanks. what reaction my wife gives me. Enjoy away. Thank you very much. Um, that is Napoleon. It's showing at cinemas right now, and it is a certificate 15. Next up, Disney's latest wish. Once upon a time stood Rosas, a most magical kingdom, founded by a king with the power to grant wishes. You are their handsomest, most beloved king. You're right. I am a handsome king. I'm so nervous, I think I'm going to explode. My best friend, the king's apprentice. My mouth drooping? I feel like it's drooping. Asha, come with me. The wishes of Rosas. Wow. People give their wishes to me, and I grant the wishes I am sure are good for Rosas. Some of these will never be granted. Not some. Most. They deserve more than... I decide what everyone deserves. So you may know that Disney is celebrating 100 years this year, and it's come out uh, to celebrate with its new film, Wish. The story of a young woman called Asha, who's played by Ariana DeBose, um, lives, in, lives in a seemingly pleasant kingdom where everyone makes a wish and then gives it to their king, Magnifico, for safekeeping. If it sounds a bit iffy, probably because it is. Anyway, what happens is Asha makes a wish herself, but she makes it to uh, a star, and it's so powerful that it brings on the help of this star. Ashley, I'm, I'm going to come to you, because you and I were both big Disney fans, fan. we were children at the time of what's 
I don't know who calls it this. I think we call it this. The golden, the golden age yeah. of <laughs> Disney, which is the 90s. So we hold any Disney film up to quite high expectations. The Little is 89, but it's kind of the same. Yeah, it's, it's the same period. It's okay. It's okay. So um, we hold Disney films up to quite high standards. And this one, it's quite a big deal because it's Disney 100. And this is the film that they've chosen to go out with. What was your take? It, well, well, we still haven't returned to the old style of animation that I love. We're still on this new shebang that the kids are doing. But feel-wise, script-wise, story-wise, it did feel like a return to late 80s, early 90s. And you had me on Easter egg hunting. And I think right at the beginning, we have Ariel's underwater castle is the on-land castle. You've got um, Belle's dad's weird little spider carriage that he invented pops up in this as well. So that was... Bambi. Oh, one of the characters is Bambi. Oh, yes. there's plenty yes. of Easter eggs yes. if you like that kind of thing. Anybody, <laughs> any Disney fans, fans listening? And I really liked the return to the. Well, all Disney films are magical, but this is about magic. It's properly magical. It's about a young female overcoming this kind of tyrannical um, king and restoring magic to her life and everyone around her. And that is just classic core Disney storytelling so I loved it for that <laughs> Will how about you well firstly I'm surprised um, that you didn't think I hold Disney in high regard wow it's not I that mean, I just didn't know so I didn't want to make any uh, yeah, assumptions no, that's fair. I'm oh, sorry lo love them all love them all um, okay basically as Ash said this <laughs> film celebrates 100 years of Disney and young heroine named Asher trying to save her kingdom from the Magnifico uh, it's I was unsure about it to begin with. And as Why it got, were you unsure about it? I'm not sure. I think it started off slightly slow and then it just picked up pace and it's now, I have to say, close to one of my favourite Disney films. Really? But yes, until Inside Out 2 comes out next year, <laughs> obviously. Um, and there's so many Easter eggs in that film that I'm just sitting there just saying, yes, I know that person, know that person. Ding, ding, Wait, ding. doesn't that person look like somebody else? Yeah, so I'm spending the whole film actually doing that and... Is well written and for 100 years they ended it with a great classic hopefully okay i'm gonna come in and play a bit of devil's advocate oh. here i'm not it. saying i did not like this film but i actually was left feeling a little bit underwhelmed for me this film was missing some of the charm of some of well a lot of disney films but i, I was trying to compare it to some of the more recent ones that we've seen things like encanto or f even Ooh. frozen to some extent to me this was nowhere near the kind of standard it was it felt very paint by numbers it felt like taking lots of aspects of different disney films and just trying to put them together the songs I mean, let's talk about the songs. To me, they weren't very memorable. I mean, there's no, we don't talk about Bruno here. So Indeed. It's, so, so that's kind of my feeling. I think I wanted, maybe I'm being particular. I, I do totally agree with you. You're incredibly right. But they, I think they were playing it safe. They just wanted mm. the Insta classic that's going to tick the box for the hundredth. Because things like Encanto, it's, it's a completely different, it, that, wasn't, that was the first um, Latin American Disney film, so that's a risk. And things like Coco um, was, mm. was a risk. Um, they didn't want to take any risks with this. They didn't. It is definitely paint by numbers, which is why it felt so nostalgic Disney story to me. But no, yeah, you're totally right. Nothing weird and wonderful in this. Some kind of light bangers in the music. Yeah, again, nothing, <laughs> I can't 
no lyrics stuck in my head, but this is the director from Frozen and Frozen 2, and um, his co-director, Fawn Virasanthorn, worked in production in the art department on all of those brilliant modern Disney classics, but it's paint-by-numbers, but I like a paint-by-numbers. I knew what I was getting. I, I think so, too, actually. Um, obviously, putting all the Disney films together, but then I think it's more for the adults, just trying to actually find all the Easter eggs. I'm like... I remember that character. I think it's for us. It's it's for us. We've had to drag our kids into these brand new kind of computer animated stuff. Like, where's the hand-drawn Lion King and everything else? (laughs) This one's for us. Okay. And just to say, I really like seeing a, a lead leading character, a younger with braids, as the main character in this. And, yeah. and I think Ariana DeBose does a, a very good yeah. job. And actually, Chris, I Pine, liked Chris Pine, he's he's a very strong, yes. enjoyable well. um, figure as as the villain, King Magnifico. Okay, so I mean, I, I was playing devil's advocate there. I do still mm. think it's enjoyable. Mm. If you, I mean, I'm hoping kids will like it too. We are all, it sounds like, very much Disney adults in this room, but something for adults and kids alike if you want to go and make up your own mind Wish is showing in cinemas right now and it is a certificate you next up Saltburn Mr Quick wow and here he is now oh what beautiful eyes oh how wonderful yeah I told you it wasn't a minger oh but darling you're kind about everyone you can't be trusted I had them hang up an old school dinner jacket we dressed for dinner here. Dressed for dinner? Yeah, it's like, uh, it was like black tie. I think I like you even more than last year's one. So that is the trailer for Saltburn, which is the latest film by Emerald Fennell, who you may remember did the critically acclaimed Promising Young Woman a couple of years ago. Um, this latest film has Barry Keane, Jacob Elordi, Rosamund Pike, Kerry Mulligan, among others. I'm going to confess right from the beginning that this is one I have not been able to see. So, Mark, please could you tell us a little bit about the film and some uh, some starting points. Uh, it's trying to get into the class divide in this country, something I think a lot of us are familiar with. Uh, we are following uh, Barry uh, Ke- I'm going to say Keoghan, I believe he pronounces his Sorry. name I, I would have said, having not si- heard him say it, uh, Keon, as you just did then but I watched an interview with him where he okay. said that I think he was he was adopted or something similar and he doesn't, and know, how doesn't know how it's said so he's gone with Keoghan. Keoghan, we'll say Keoghan then. We- really weirdly, so I'm, I'm going to stick with that and apologies Barry if it is actually Keon and, uh, and I, I've, I've <laughs> done you a disservice uh, but I am going to try and give you some credit for your performance in this. Uh, he is a student I think called Oliver uh, at uh, Oxford University who's gone, he has difficulty trying to make friends, trying to bond with anyone and then uh, a a chance meeting on the road where he lends a fellow student uh, his bike enables him to actually make a friend that friend uh, Felix uh, played by Jacob Elordi then decides to invite him round for the summer because you know know, family have drifted away and uh, he's got no real connections at home and uh, he then goes and tries to ingratiate himself into the family during the course of the summer uh, with the wonderful uh, Rosamund Pike and Richard E. Grant playing the slightly eccentric parents and it is very much trying to to play off those two sides with the 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 working class boy who's trying to understand the mechanics of how the family works coming into this like a cuckoo in the nest and starting to gradually pick apart the family relationships and and really see what makes this setup work uh, and and trying to to then get on the, the various good and bad sides of people during the course of the setup it does rest a lot on on Barry. I'm going to just say Barry now. <laughs> rest, rest a lot on Barry's performance, uh, and uh, yeah, he is he is typically great. Yeah, I, I don't think I've seen him be. He's bad brilliant in everything, isn't he? He, he is, yeah. and, and there's, there's no change to that here. Um, I think my my initial 
doubts about this because um, Emerald Fennell did win uh, the Oscar and the BAFTA for script for Promising Young Woman. Uh, I don't think this is going to be getting the same level of nominations. I think, sadly, uh, the script thinks it's cleverer than it actually is. You know, there are reveals and various things towards the end of the film, and I think you're supposed to think they're coming as a surprise, and actually it's all... Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was expecting. Uh, you know, not necessarily bad, but it's just unfortunate that the film is, it feels like it's trying to say more than it actually does. Okay, Ashley, because I, I know that you were a big fan of Promising Young Woman. Oh, sorry. you. Ha- I can tell you about Promising Young Woman. Oh, sorry. I, I assumed for some reason you'd seen it. Okay, Mark, I'll come back to you. My mistake. Um, Promising Young Woman, w- when it came out, it was... Shocker. It was. It was. It really made some noise, right? It was very stylistic. It had a great message behind it. Excellent performances by Kerry Mulligan. Do you think then that, that Emerald Fennell here is trying to emulate what she did there, perhaps with just a slightly different chain of events? Yeah, I think. I think there are ways you can draw similarities between the two films and yeah there is a very much a darkness to this and a very satisfying darkness of that as well you know I, I love films that aren't afraid to go to some dark places and and this does this is absolutely uh, and there's you know, some shocking moments I read things that are in there maybe for kind of shock factor do they work within that yeah I think I think you almost want to consider it as a sort of you know dark comedy slash almost a, a, a very tentative thriller almost in terms of those kind of elements um but again when you stand back from the whole thing at the end and see what's been assembled they're maybe not as shocking when you see them in the context of the whole film uh yeah there's there's maybe almost a touch of predictability to it um you know and and fair play to to emerald fennel for actually you know trying and 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 having that ambition that sense you know there's there's no one really in the cast that lets her down you know richard e grant's absolute joy and glee at getting to wear a suit of armor to a party for example (laughs) is just something i will treasure at the end of the year when i come to do my my lists rosamund pike is great kerry mulligan is a little bit wasted i think she has just a little cameo role as a a friend of the family has a sort of um kind of ab fab feeling to it of you know one of these sort of you know hangers on that's not patsy Rodina's one of the you know the sort of you know supporting people that just drifts in um and i think you know she's there just to kind of feel like she's in the film uh and we all know how great kerry mulligan is and it would have been so much so much uh more satisfying to have had more from her in the film um i think there's there's one other person i think i want to pick out who's um uh uh, um, uh, Archie uh, Medekwe who plays Farley who is the, the cousin of Felix and they're in the same class at school so he also then comes back for the family set up during the summer holiday and he's mm. the one who doesn't really trust Oliver's uh, motivations he doesn't really believe that, that he's genuine in what he's doing and he's the one who's pushing back and picking away uh, he of course was um, uh, the lead uh, well um uh, the the actor. Uh, I'm just hoping Stu can scroll down slightly on the screen so I can remind myself what his actual name was. Archie uh, uh, Yeah, he was the leader of course in Gran Turismo earlier this year, uh, um, playing uh, um, uh, uh, Jan Mardelbrough, the the real life racing driver. Okay, because I was just trying to see who what I recognised him from. Yeah, and and actually in in Gran Turismo he was a little bit bland as the lead in that he really really didn't get much to do here he's so much more interesting because he is the one who is needling back and needling away and trying to work out exactly what is going on with uh, oliver and and why he's so interested actually being in this situation which he's so 
out of his depth in it mm. seems on the surface so there, there are lots of dynamics the, the frustrating thing to me is that it feels in a film where you're saying so much about the class divide in this country yeah. it doesn't really have that much to say about the class divide in this country other than possibly posh people are rich and weird <laughs> which a, I think we all kind of that, 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 that's fine and I think that's a great way to end that review thank you very much Mark so Saltburn is still showing at cinemas and it is a certificate 15 Cambridge 105 Radio. On Cambridge 105 Radio, musician Nick Barraclough tells Paul Christoforou about the making of his album, A Fool's Errand. Two people who live two doors down from me, Liz Delaporta and Eva Delaporta, doing backing vocals. I'd send it to them and a file comes up on the computer and I slot it in. And there's nothing more. It's a joy you know, to get these things slotted in. Oh, that works. Perfect. A Fool's Errand, Sunday at midday on Cambridge 105 Radio. Tired of long waiting lists to see a dentist? As a private clinic, Dentistry and More can book you an appointment when it's convenient to you. We believe dental visits should be a pleasant experience. Our relaxing and welcoming clinic is in the centre of Trumpington, right next to the Clay Farm Centre and Sainsbury's. Our team comprises highly experienced dental specialists who are dedicated to delivering the highest standard of care using the latest dental equipment to provide efficient and painless treatment. We offer a 10% discount for NHS workers and we have additional hygienist appointments available on Saturdays. Find out more at dentistryandmore.co.uk. This is Cambridge 105 Radio and you are listening to the Cambridge Film Show. Coming up, we've got reviews of Thanksgiving and Leo. But first up, let's talk about Rustin. So, talk, shout, take command. Who's that? Big famous bard Rustin. In 41, you called for a large-scale march. The time has come for another. No bad. I can handle all the grunt work. Rally the young. We are going to put together the largest peaceful protest made up of angelic troublemakers such as yourselves. My friend, Dr. Martin Luther King, will be joining us. How many bodies does it take to surround the White House? How many? Sorry, I thought that was a setup for a joke. So, Napoleon is not the only historical figure that has been treated cinematically in this week's discussion. In fact, in our next film, we are talking about Bayard Rustin, who is probably lesser known than Napoleon, but nevertheless an important figure in history, specifically American civil, the American Civil Rights Movement. He worked with Martin Luther King and he played a huge role organising the very famous March on Washington in August 1963. So this film, Rustin, it's one of our streaming choices today. You can watch it on Netflix and it's directed by George C. Wolfe who did Ma Rainey's Black Bottom which you might have seen a couple of years ago and it stars Coleman Domingo as as Bayard Rustin. Um, Stuart I'll come to you. Bayard Rustin I, I don't know how much you know about him but he is actually a really hugely important figure in the civil rights movement and he was an openly gay man that faced quite a lot of backlash at the time and is actually probably one of the reasons that not many people know about him now. 
he encountered a lot of obstacles due to his race, his sexual orientation, his political beliefs. How did you find that the film addressed these challenges, whether you knew about him or not? So if there is a film, to, uh, a theme to the films that I have seen this week, it's eras of history that I have been, if not ent- entirely educated on, then totally ignorant about. And this one, I definitely fall into the totally ignorant character. I, I, I had no idea who Bayad Rustin was going into this. Much to my too much to my shame. But it, again, it's an excellent... The film is an excellent vehicle for, for anyone who wants to learn more about this period of history, how important it is um, socially, not just within the United States, but around the world. Um, there are some excellent performances in there. So, Coleman Domingo, I've not seen him in anything before, just having a look at some of the other things he's been in. People might know him more recently from Fear the Walking Dead, um, and, and apparently he was also in the latest Transformers movie, which, um, again, it being a big CGI flick, maybe some of the the, the actors get lost in that. But um, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really good uh, watch on Netflix. I really wish I'd had the opportunity to see it on a big screen, because I understand that it's one of those ones where it's limited theatrical release, but it, mostly on a streamer. And... Yeah, it was it was it was very enjoyable to watch. I I I unlike say Napoleon where we felt it was a bit of a slog and sometimes a little bit dull, this was genuinely interesting throughout and I think the performances sort of really really made it engaging. Um yeah. Brilliant. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and, really, and, and like Napoleon, is it one where you thought, oh, I better go read up a bit more on someone like Bayard Rustin uh, having, from having watched the film? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where you sort of, you sort of think to yourself, well, uh, this is a seriously seismic bit of history that I've just not necessarily had on my radar or, or, or been in this situation. Like I've not studied it at school. Maybe it's the sort of thing that should be more in schools. I don't know. But I, I certainly think I should go and find out some more about this. Now I've sort of sort of tapped into it through yeah, this film. Yeah, cool. Another win for history today, everyone. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a good day to be a historian, perhaps. <laughs> um, Ash, let's talk a little bit about Coleman Domingo, who is playing Bayard Rustin. For me, this is very much his film. He is magnetic. He commands the screen every time he's on. And even the, uh, the other characters in it, people who are playing, for example, huge figures like Martin Luther King, they kind of pale in comparison to Rustin when he's on and probably intentional. Yeah, no, definitely intentional because um, Martin Luther King just pops up for a little bit there at the end. It looks purposefully diminutive um, compared to Bayard Rustin. Um, great choice of actor. I don't recognise him from many things. I think this is his first leading role. He was a pretty big role in the new Candyman. He's coming up in the the new The Colour Purple. Um, but it's the integrity that shines through and they, they do do it a little bit on the nose mm. in his final scene, but I'm sure that's an, a, a famous um, line or action from him. So they felt they needed to put that in there because it kind of hangs his whole character on that one thing he does at the end. But throughout it, before we get to that, you can just see and the way the other characters look at him and listen to him. That was the thing I got most from this because, again, I also had no idea who this person was. Um, very slight um, black history knowledge so you just hang your hat on the Martin Luther Kings and like the Black Panthers the big characters that we know um, so they had to work really hard to bring this guy up as high as some of those and I think they did it well and did either of you find that it did a good job of sort of blending his political life and motivations with what was going on with his life personally. Yeah, I think it was really good how they were sort of sort of touching on 
on, on all of those little political things going in the background. So, for example, I think it was uh, was it Hoover, the head of the FBI at that time, was trying to sort of bring him down a notch just by trying to uh, tr- trying to trying to focus on uh, what they perceived to be character flaws in in, in his sort of in his sort of in, in that year. Obviously, homosexual gay relationships were very taboo and illegal in some illegal. cases. Yeah, and um, the fact that they were trying to undermine what is genuinely a movement based on sort of freedoms and what are, what, are, what, are, what are intrinsically American values it's all in the constitution blah 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 uh, and they're just trying to do some character assassination and he didn't let that stop him um, yeah. I liked his gayness came across brilliantly for me as um, the way the character played it based on how the film talked about it because for me he just lived his life that way and he was going about his business and it didn't seem to bog the character down but he was just met with certain resistances as he was trying to do normal things like go on a date or meet up with a friend in a certain place and it was when he's calm and at home it's you you feel he's completely at ease with himself he's he's a gay man why would he not be it's the the others that are making it difficult for him yeah okay so we've got to move on because i'm just watching the clock but um I think that's a positive from both of you then. Mm, Yeah. Okay, if you want to watch Rusted, it's currently on Netflix and it is a certificate 15. Next, let's talk Thanksgiving. I used to love this town. Until what happened that night. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving and I'm tired of pretending like everything is normal and it's not. I want things to go back to normal too. Show some enthusiasm. Thanksgiving is an institution here. Someone's up for revenge. And they're turning it into a sick holiday game. This is weird. We're all tagged. And our names are at the table. But why us? So, this week we've just had Thanksgiving, if you are listening live, on the 25th of November. Um, And would you believe there is a film currently in cinemas called Thanksgiving? It's a horror film, it's directed by Eli Roth, and it's all about a slasher on the rampage a year after a Black Friday sale goes terribly wrong. Ash, I think it's just me and you on this one. Um, So Eli Roth, obviously super famous for gore, Mm -hmm. violence, and there is plenty of it here. I've had a look. I think the horror fans are actually really into this. What do you think? Well, yeah. Eli Roth, godfather of um, of body horror, did those horrible things earlier in the noughties, um, Cabin Fever and the Hostel series. And... Until his stuff, actually, I don't think we knew how bad Slasher Gore could get. And then along came the Saw franchise and took it up another level. Slasher Gore to us was just some stabbings, some axe work, maybe. Um, But Eli's imagination is just one of the darkest places (laughs) on the planet. Um, So I was really looking forward to his latest work. He's not been around for a while. And I love the cheesy, kind of campy, gory body horror thrillers and to try and take down the most wholesome of holidays in modern times not what it's based on for an american thanksgiving and just really mess with people i loved it um harking back to um oh the living dead what i'm trying to say where they're making the comments on capitalism capitalism as well so it's a black friday riots right at the beginning people lose their lives trying to consume goods and it's it's got a little bit of that redemption killer they're trying to teach you a lesson but just some of 
the ways he's not lost his touch, the ways some people die in this and or are tortured is just magically disgusting <laughs> I'm not sure I would describe it as magically disgusting but this isn't normally my bag I will go you, out and why say have that you watched this? Well, I just <laughs> thought it might be fun um, and to be fair it is silly yeah. like, you mentioned the word camp this is so camp and this is the point of some of these films you cannot take them very very no. seriously and of course as you mentioned there is the commentary there on the fact that we people are just awful because all of this happens because of something that happens at a Black Friday sale where it all goes terribly wrong and people lose their lives. And it actually was quite fun to watch, Mm -hmm. I think, ignoring for me some of the bits that I probably wouldn't like in a horror. Um, There is obviously the kind of whodunit aspect to this. There is that. Now, I watched it with my partner and he straight away said, it's "It's that person. person. (laughs) Yeah, that that did really let me down. But I do wonder if that was in a way intentional because it's it's always kind of like, it's the butler did it. He's being camped there again. It was my very first guess. I think it's within... Well, after the Black Friday scene, within about eight seconds, I was like, oh, that's the person. And I was right. But so it was so, so obvious. I assumed that that, that it can't be them. It must be someone else. It must be slightly more nuanced. This is here to divert me. It wasn't here to divert me. We're bang on the nose. But it felt really camp even to me that I loved it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it's a very strong... And actually, we've just had Halloween before. And I... Of the horror films that I watched for Halloween, this this one seems to kind of be better than a lot of them. It's taking the mick out of itself. So yeah. so the the Halloween franchise, which has just been revived, three incredible films. Middle one maybe less so. Don't listen to anyone else. I loved them. No, don't you shake your head at me, Will? <laughs> um, that takes itself very very seriously. You've got like a big actress really taking herself seriously on that one. It's a canon. It's it's beloved franchise. This Eli is just mucking around. He's having a ton of fun. You can tell he's having fun and you can tell everyone else in the film is having a lot of fun with him. So if this is your bag, if you're into that kind of horror slasher genre, you will probably enjoy this. Thanksgiving is currently in cinemas. No surprises. It is an 18. It is gross. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we're going to talk about The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games, they're to punish the districts. Those tributes don't have a choice. Your role is to turn these children into spectacles, not survivors. We're live! Smile. It's why we have teeth. Imagine it was your name that they pulled. I just want to know that somebody still cared about me, that I was still of value. Okay, so that's the trailer for The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Now, this is the latest in the hugely popular Hunger Games series, which started in... Oh, someone help me out here. Was it 2010, around that time? We were at university, maybe 2008. A while ago. Anyway, um, (laughs) so this this film is an origin tale. It's a prequel to the, the famous trilogy... Uh, and its plot is it's years before he becomes the tyrannical president of Panem, 18-year-old Coriolanus Snow remains the last hope for his fading lineage. Will, I have to confess, I know nothing about Hunger Games. I've never really been involved or interested in the franchise, so that that meant nothing to me. Please tell us more about this film. Um, well, with the Hunger Games, um, it was initially set up to... I think there's a war ages ago, so certain districts were blamed for it. So they've decided to actually have a tribute from every district every year to um, fight it out to become the one that survives. Yes. 
And is, it, is it like mm. ten young kids, isn't it, that they send? Y- yes, I think different. I think there's twelve districts in total. Oh, okay, fine. So, yeah. yeah. So then they, they, I think it's ten. It's about twenty. I think it's about twenty or so. But anyway, um, it's just to actually get ratings and, in some ways, just who can be number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this this one obviously tells a story about Coralina Snow, um, young younger version of him before he becomes that tyrant yeah um and the hung games a dying breed so they need to up their game so they decide right. to actually get them to mentor um tributes that's where he that's where snow comes in and he has to mentor lucy graybeard who was played by rachel Zeg- ziegler ziegler mm-hmm. and she kind of got my goat to begin with but, um, but i began to warm to her towards the end of it um, but because I thought I was watching a musical, because all she did was sing half the mm. time, even though she was oh, supposed to be a, a songbird, it wasn't a musical though. But it felt like she was trying too hard to just. Well, she, she sing. was, of course, in West Side Story. Yes, the, with, the, the re- with Ariana DeBose as well. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, there we go. Nice link. We've <laughs> <laughs> um, got Viola, Viola Davis, menacing and brilliant. As she can't do no wrong, that lady. Seriously, no, she can't. Uh, Peter Dinklage. All I saw was um, Tyrion Lannister. It was just. He, he just seems to be typecast that person, but he does it so well, no yeah. matter what film he does it in. Um, and Tom Blythe, I work with his sister at the moment. She got to go to the premiere. Really upset about that. She got oh, goodie bag as well. Name yes. dropping, well. Yeah, yeah no, she, she's more of a dancer, but he's the actor. But um, it was a good turn yeah. for Coralina Snow. Um, and the film split into two chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say two chapters, um, two parts, where one's more to do with the Hunger Games and second half's more to do with a character building and his process in actually becoming who he's supposed to be. Okay. And may I ask at this point, are you a big fan of the Hunger Games franchise? Had you seen all the films previously? Did you know a lot about it? Um, I had, because um, I've introduced us to Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. So I, I was actually a bit of a fan, but there have been mixed reviews about this, mm. especially from fans who are not Hunger Game fans, obviously. Um, so do you think this this kind of caters to the expectations of people who may be long-time Hunger Games fans and newbies, or just one group, or...? Um, I think it caters for like, Hunger Games fans, but then also introduces newbies to mm. it, so non, non-judgmental newbies, should I say. Right. <laughs> um, which will encourage them to watch the other Hunger Games, hopefully. And I see a nice little follow-up coming in, in the near future, hopefully. Okay. Um because it's doing well at the moment. But as I said, the haters are keeping it down. <laughs> did it Did it do enough kind of delving into the backstory of these characters that you kind of know from the Hunger Games? Did it? Was there enough of interest there if they do decide to make another film? Um, there was, because as I said, um, obviously, f- films seem to be in two parts. So you had your Hunger Games and then um, you learn more about the past of the other, like what, Snow, it was at the end of his lineage. Mm. Um, so he's like the only one. And then Lucy, she was oh, she was from a family of Coveys, so a bunch of singers and travellers right. who were at, just happened to be in District Twelve, which is where Katniss oh, Everdeen okay. was from. Yeah, yeah. And you know they just kind of name drop Katniss a few times in that, even though it's if the it's past. a prequel. Yeah, uh, is that kind of like a little Easter egg for it is for the long time hunger? I, th- I think it is. Yeah, fans. Yeah. Okay. So overall, would would you suggest this to someone like me that? I think I've only watched the first one. I'd, I'm assuming I'd have to watch the other two before I watched this. Um, not necessarily, because I think you could, as it's a prequel, um, you'll get to know more about Snow, but obviously they might do a trilogy of this film, fingers crossed, and you'll actually get to know more about him in order to actually understand the 
Oh. So actually, the original I, Hunger so Games films, yes. Maybe I should do it kind of chronologically and, and start do with it. it. Okay, but you're, you're a fan of this, you would recommend it? I would, definitely. Okay, brilliant. So Hunger Games, um, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is currently showing in cinemas and it is a certificate 12A. And right, on to our final film. Boo. Leo. No animal wants to be locked up. I wasted my life. This year, every student has to take home a class pet. This is my shot. Are you nuts? So I go with these kids, then I escape, and then I really live. It's on. of Godzilla! What was that? You just spoke! Mom! No! You talked! No! People can't! No! So, our final film today is another one that you can watch on Netflix and it is a film called Leo. It's an Adam Sandler Happy Madison production with Sandler himself as the titular character, a lizard who is the class pet in a Florida school and watches loads of fifth graders go by every year. When we join him in the film, he is worrying about the end of his life. He's about to turn 75 and he decides that he's not done enough. He wants to make a bit of a difference. So when the mean substitute teacher starts asking the kids to take their turn, taking him home and looking after him, he reveals that he can talk and he wants and he looks to make a more positive difference to their lives. I'm not sure if I've done the best summary of the film there. It probably sounds a little bit silly, but I actually found this one quite um, heartwarming. Mark, what did you think? I, I think silly and heartwarming is a very fair description, to be honest. <laughs> um, some of the silliness I, I didn't quite understand. It's set in 2023, but mm -hmm. a weird parallel universe 2023 where kids go to school and they've got safety drones that fly alongside them and uh, at occasional points play key parts in the plot. Yes. Um, that felt to me like slightly lazy writing that they couldn't come up with a way of, of achieving those ends without inventing drones. That, that for the large part of the film really don't add very much to what's going on. So uh, the writing was a little bit confused in that sense, but um, I did very much enjoy the fact it was trying to be you know sweet and good-natured and uh, at the same time you know funny and, and, and chucking the occasional little rude joke and uh, odd things for uh, the parents to enjoy as much as the kids. Um, you know, I think its heart is very much in the right place and yeah, the, the animation is of the standard we come to expect <coughs> these days, which you can't always say about animated films. You know, mm. it's, it's bright and colourful. Uh, it will certainly keep people engaged. Uh, there is at the centre of it Adam Sandler doing a weird voice uh, and your tolerance for this film will, will depend, I think, almost entirely on how much you appreciate Adam Sandler doing a weird voice. And hopefully you don't have someone sat next to you like I did who kept imitating said voice throughout the film um, <laughs> Ashley I mean what I quite liked about this film is that you it's it's about kids kind of growing up and those kind of moments that will affect them those awkward stages that we all have as kids and I thought that was done quite nicely it that was incredibly sweet and that was the heart of the film I think that's the story Adam Sandler wanted to tell and he needed to pull it out into a feature length um, and they really kind of even once it happens a few times where the, where the lizard Leo gives this one-on-one -on -one quiet advice to the kids, they even stop letting the audience hear it. He's just whispering into their like ear maybe while they're in their room and you know what's going on. But you miss those lovely seconds of dialogue where this 72-year-old lizard just imparts his wisdom in the clearest, most easy way for this child to understand. It's exactly what they need to hear at that time. And the lizard is representing 
those special extra adults that hopefully all kids have because sometimes you can't tell your parents certain things or you don't have great parents sometimes you can't tell your teachers certain things or you don't have grandparents and those extra adults are so important for every kid and that's exactly who Adam Sandler was embodying with that horrific voice he's I mean it wasn't that it bad. was so annoying he does it it's when he's playing a, a human character in his films you'll recognize it as the one when he gets angry and he shouts like maybe he's throwing a golf club he does that really gravelly shouty voice but it, it is that all the way through and it's too much and you're just like oh that's adam sandler and it takes you right out of it but you've also got some other voice work in there. You've got yeah. Bill Burr, who plays Squirtle the Turtle. Yeah. Um, Cecily Strong, who plays the teacher. Rob Schneider is the principal. It's and, and yeah, Joe uh, Coy. Joe Coy. Yeah, yeah, loads of great comedians. So there's there's a good cast there. I, I can't talk about this film without mentioning that, to my surprise, it was a bit of a musical. Well, there were a lot of songs. I will say that I watched the trailer for this this morning before I went then I actually watched the film, and it, it is one of those films where you watch the trailer and there's no songs in it. It is not giving away the fact it's a musical, and that's always a big red flag to me. Oh. And then you watch the film. Did you find film. it too jarring then? Well, no, no. I mean, actually, when you start hearing the song, I love musicals. Uh, I am uh, in, in no way euphemistically a fan of uh, musicals. Uh, uh, maybe euphemistically as well. Who knows? I'll let, I'll let listeners be the judge of that. <laughs> but... Uh, the problem with it as a musical is uh, this: if you imagine something, uh, the genre of sung through musicals, where you have songs and then everything around it is then sung as well, it feels like a sung through musical with all the songs taken out. So many of the songs are just people saying things to music. They're not That's an actual what a song. Is. No, no, no. But they're not. They're not songs. They're just sung words if that if i can get you to understand that distinction yeah um, there are a few I, I actual think... songs but they're, they're not the majority of what happens musically in the film and consequently they're so unmemorable uh, and i just wish you know when, when we have so many good musicals and animated musicals uh, and, and other films of that genre out there you have to get your bar up if you're going to put music in otherwise just don't bother and i think actually in this case i think this film would have been better if it had just stuck to not being a musical sorry that, I mean, no, that's a very fair comment. I did like the When I Was Ten song. That did feel more like a song from a musical. And actually, maybe, you know, just have two or three songs. Don't perhaps, overstretch it. You know, have Have the songs that are genuinely songs like that one, rather than feeling the need to shoehorn in more music, which isn't really a song. OK, thank you. Ashley, I'm just going to finish with you, because obviously we've also talked about Wish today. So thinking about the kind of kids films, would you recommend both of these? Do you favour one over the other? They're very different, but... This um, age-wise for this one, I think that the writers will be wasted because you've got Adam Sandler on the writing team along with a couple of guys from Saturday Night Live. There are lots of little spicy bits that there's no way a kid's going to find that funny. Um, but there's lots of kind of slapstick comedy in this that I think kids will enjoy. Wish is a lovely, magical film for younger children, I think. Um, but I think maybe... Teenagers and under will find Leo quite funny, I think, and wishes for your more delicate flowers who are littler and they need to learn how to wish upon a star. Okay. <laughs> <Dropping> <laughs> Thank, <wish> you. There. <laughs> Thank you very much for that advice. We are going to close it there. Um, if you would like to see Leo, it is on Netflix and it's a certificate PG. And that's it for the show this week. Thank you very, very much, team. We are back on the 9th of December. I think we're going to get a bit festive for that one. So please do join us then. We're going to close with I Wish by Stevie Wonder. Thank you very much, everybody. And goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Cambridge 105 Radio.